0: Continuing on, so the word of faith which we are preaching, that's Paul saying. The way is not looking above or below for it. It is near you. It is plain and simple, the saving power. You don't have to be an intellectual. You don't have to be brilliant. You can be ignorant. As long as you're not retarded or have brain damage, you can comprehend these things. It's that simple. The gospel to the poor. Not many of the rich and wise are saved because they're arrogant and they won't come God's way. They want to come their own way and they think they're special. And so the more intellectual become and the Bible says knowledge shall increase. Well, that means percentage-wise there'll be less people being saved because God doesn't go out of his way to cater to the wise, the intellectual, or the rich. He's not against them. But it's harder for them because they won't come the simple way. Nowadays, the preacher has to go to seminary and learn this language and that, and he comes out and he's worse than when he went in, and nobody, common person, can even understand what he's talking about. And he's supposed to be given the gospel. Foolishness. God keeps it from him. The gospel of faith in Christ's death and resurrection is near you. It's in your mouth. He says the message is being given. You to speak, and your heart and spirit are to believe. It's within your capability. Accept God's plan, and there's no other. So it's in your mouth. You can confess what you've heard. When the gospel's preached under the Spirit, the mind is enlightened. And a person is not saved because he confesses. He confesses because he's saved. He all of a sudden believes and his eyes are open. His spirit, and he goes, Oh. And so he confesses what he believes. That's salvation. Nowadays, everybody's confessing and there's no true belief. And those, those spirits not working. It's just mental assent. Like the millions that are going to say, Lord, Lord, they believe he's the Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you, you evil workers into everlasting punishment." But they say, Jesus, Lord. But see, it had no power, because it was mental assent without true belief or conversion. That's only done by the Spirit. So most of the people that you'll hear of that claim to be Christians are not Christians, and they're going to have a rude awakening at the Day of Judgment. They don't turn. Okay, verse 9. Now he explains it, that if you confess with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you're confessing him as Lord because you believe the message that he died for your sins. He was judged for your sins, and he died, and then he resurrected the proof that he was holy and acceptable to God. That's the proof, that's the point of the resurrection. Sin and death could not hold him. God judged him for the sinner, but he was not a sinner. But he judged him and made a representative of him. And then when he was finished, as Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. He did his part. Then God raised him up. Psalm 16 says death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. Why? Because there was no sin in him. So you confess this belief that he died and he resurrected for me. And when you say, Jesus is Lord, this confuses people. When you confess him as Lord, that means I have the determination to follow him. He's not going to be your savior and not be your Lord. He's not going to be your savior and you not be a disciple. That's a bunch of baloney and false doctrine. If you're saved, you're a beginning disciple. If not, you will be cast down. If you are saved and you don't follow and obey him, then you will be cut off. It's a continuous state. See, people, it's a beginning. It's not the end. Many people, oh, I got saved. That's all. Well, no, you didn't. And if you did, you lost it real quickly because you didn't follow him. See, we were under the devil's kingdom under his power. Now we've transferred our allegiance to another king. And he expects certain things to be done. And like Jesus said, why call me Lord if you don't do what I tell you? He don't accept you as his. See? They're trying to make the gospel so simple. It's not simple that way. We are saved to serve the Lord. We are saved to be maturing in Christ. We're not saved to keep us out of hell. That's just a bonus. We're saved to serve the Lord. And to know the Lord, this is eternal life, in the present life and in the life hereafter. Uh-huh. So it's not a lot of this gospel stuff is false gospel. Oh, They run around with three scriptures. Oh, I'm determined, I'm just going to... Pre- well, you're false, because Jesus go into all the world and preached the gospel to all creation. He meant all the Gentiles, all world teaching them to observe everything I told you. He didn't say to teach them how to get saved. See, because these ignorant people don't understand. He taught them how to stay saved. Because Jesus said, he that endures to the end will be saved. So just starting a race don't make you saved for eternity. See, those are the lying gospels out there. Okay, so what do we see? So he explains, confess Jesus with your mouth what you're believing, that he was your savior. His sacrifice and resurrection justified you. You believe in him with your will, your mind, your spirit, that Christ died for your sins and was raised for your justification. Then he says, then you will be saved. Then you have salvation. See, not only future, but if Christ is in you, you have salvation. He is made unto us salvation. People think it's separate from Christ. It never is. People say, well, he's my Savior, but not my Lord. I said, you're, you're destined for hell. You're a deceived soul. He cannot be your Savior and not be your Lord. You're a traitor. You've got a false gospel. Okay? His raising from the dead is proof. No sin or power could hold him, for he was holy, harmless, and undefiled. His death and life accepted as he took on the human nature, God himself, and he gave himself, the sinless, for the sinner. That was God's plan of salvation because no human could do it because even when he was born, he was marred to some degree by sin and imperfection. Okay, He was not. That's why Jesus was born. Under the law, The sin and everything else went through the male, okay? He was born and had his humanity through Mary. And so the sin did not pass to him, as far as God is concerned, and he kept it, so with the original nature. But he had to be tested later, which he was, and he had to live his life, not sinning. So that was a great battle, wasn't it? You can imagine it be someone that pure and have to live around all the garbage. The Bible said Lot, living in Sodom, he said it vexed his righteous soul. He had to, only one righteous, and had to live around all the filth and scum that he lived in. And so the Lord wanted to deliver him out of it, and he did. Another scripture we go to, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of or from the dead. See, when he resurrected, it was proof he was accepted. His humanity, his sacrifice, his blood was accepted by God and the Holy Spirit. Or the Spirit could not have risen him. If there had been sin there, he couldn't have done it. The Holy God wouldn't have done it. And therefore, he was resurrected. Okay? And that was the proof that his sacrifice is acceptable to God. And therefore, we can trust in his life and his sacrifice. Verse 10: For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Now he puts it in the right order. With the heart, the spirit, your mind, a person, that's your personality. You believe the message that you heard. And the result is righteousness. Because you believe in Christ, you have his righteousness. He gives it. And he enters us his righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses. He says, he's the Lord. He's my Lord. I accept his righteousness, his redemption. And that is salvation. He said, that results. See, your eyes are opened your spiritual eyes, all of a sudden you see. You accept God's method, and so he honors those who accept his way. Now, at 8.14 in Romans, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. See, being led by him, it's not the initial believing. That starts the race. That starts your life. But you have to be led. And that's why most of them are cut off. That's why most of them are not true Christians. They think they just get baptized and confess, and they go about living their own life the way they want to, and there's no change. Uh huh. And they think that irresistible grace, and they're once saved always saved, and we don't have to do anything because you're of the devil and you're deceived. You will find this out when it's too late. That's what I tell them. I wasn't very popular when I told them that. Okay, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, the human spirit, soul, and personality, that we are the children of God. So if he enters us and we confess and acknowledge, his Spirit will bear witness to that. It happened to me at 16, and I knew instantly that I was saved. I knew my sins were forgiven. I knew things I didn't have no way of knowing, simply because I believed the message. And all of a sudden, I knew that I knew. And I had nothing to base it on other than accepting Christ. He makes it simple. Then later on, we examine all the ramifications. When you're first saved, you don't know what adoption means. You don't know what redemption means. You don't know sanctity. You don't know all the... But we can figure it out later. But we start the race. That's how we start. We don't learn all these things and come to the Lord because it's a spiritual thing. It's a revelation. He turns the light on and we go, oh, and we see. And then we start moving. So he not only leads us, he witnesses to us that we are a child of God. And then there's a lot of other problems on and off, but we won't get into that right now. 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, will not be ashamed. Disappointed or made ashamed is what it means. His trust and faith in Christ gives witness to him. And another way is, and it happened instantly, you have peace of mind when you come to the Lord. Now, when you fail late and all that, that's different things come into play. And you have to repent and do certain things or eventually you won't be following the Lord much longer. Okay. See, people want to make it so it's a simple message, but it costs you your life and your duty to God and your obedience is what's commanded. And you're not your own. You're bought with a price, and you have to live the way the Lord wants you to. And the Holy Spirit gives you the power if you will it. And you can will it or not will it. He doesn't take man's decision alter his will. He encourages. The new man delights in obeying Christ. Your old man doesn't. And your will is in between and has the ability to choose. And you have to choose. So he says, endure to the end, and you'll be saved. you have to do the enduring. Christ gives you the help to endure. You can't do it by yourself, and he's not going to do it for you. See, there's the union. It said, he that joins himself to the Lord is one spirit. You're yoked with him. But you can be unyoked if you decide you won't want to go that way anymore. And some people have done that. They've departed from the faith. Okay? Now, this witness of the mind and this peace of mind is not true to the even the Christian. If he falls into gross sin and he's not being led of Christ, he's going to lose that witness because eventually he's going to lose his salvation. The Lord's going to part from him. He'll warn him. He'll persevere with him. But God decides, people want a deadline. How far can I go? He keeps that hidden. He cuts some people off. That's his right. Some people try to play with his grace. They get surprised. You don't play the game. It's a dangerous thing not to be in Christ or to be sinning against him. Because one day the father may say, cut the branch off. Jesus said, my father will cut him off. So they think they're going to fool around and mock God. They're going to find themselves deceived, okay, and tricked. So the one who persistly will not follow or stops following the Lord, and obeying his command, that one will be cut off. He's not going to strive with you 20 and 30 years like the false shepherds tell you. It's interesting. Paul said, you want a heretic twice and he don't have nothing to do with him. You treat him as a heathen. And the ones that didn't repent, he wanted them thrown out of church. He said, why? Because the spirit don't have fellowship with him. Why should you? See, they they want to say, well, God, uh, much is given, much is required. Don't play with God's grace because he can shut the door Like the scripture says, I'll be gracious to him, I'll be gracious, and I'll harden. And he looks at the overall person and what they're doing and what they're thinking, and he makes his evaluation. And he doesn't do it whimsical or out of a mood. He considers many things. But he's long-suffering and patient. And with some, he'll afflict them to get their attention, and he'll bring troubles on them. But like the one who's reproved seven times, he'll eventually be cut off. God says, well, he's proved a point. He don't want to serve. He don't want to follow me. He wants to do his own thing, so I'm going to get rid of him and let him do his own thing. And then I'll see him at Judgment Day. People say this all the time, the false shepherds, and it's true. There is no condemnation of them in Christ. But most of them are not in Christ because they're living in gross sin. They're living their own life. Oh, they're claiming grace, and they're claiming this, but they don't have it. The work, spiritual works prove it. People told me they're in Christ while they're living in adultery. I told them they were liars, and they'd go to hell that night if they died. They'd hang up on me on the phone. I didn't care. I said, they heard the truth. The lion shepherd didn't. He'll run back to his lion shepherd, and they'll convince him he's saved anyway, and he'll go to hell with him. Scripture don't teach none. It says, there is no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. That means being led of the Spirit and being presently in Christ. It don't mean no past experience. See? You're hanging on to something. If you're in gross sin, you're in trouble. God will deal with other things, the minor infraction, and he'll discipline and he'll correct. But he isn't long suffering towards a murderer. He doesn't keep a murderer in eternal life. Even Paul said, and you know, no murderer, John says, has eternal life. He said, if you hate your Christian brother and you aren't forgiving, he said, you're a murderer. And he said, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. And Paul said the same thing with greedy, prosperity, covetous, materialist people. He says, the covetous person he says, isn't a He worships money. You know? He said, and you know, he has no eternal life in him. So people need to get back and be practical. So there is condemnation if you walk in sin. If you're walking in the spirit and obeying the Lord, there is none. And a lot of people have a false peace. I've had people tell me, well, at least I'm saved. I said, no, you're not. I disturb them. I said, no, you're not. Because you're living in gross sin. And if you read the list of the sins, Paul says, you live this way. You practice these. He said, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't go to heaven. Why won't you go to heaven? Because you're not saved anymore. See, that's what he wants them to understand. See, people want to split hairs. How far can I go and live my own way? Well, you're not going to make it because your heart is thinking wrong. If you're in Christ, there's a part of you that wants to serve the Lord and do good for him and obey him. And if not, you need to check out your experience. Maybe you lost it or you didn't have the real born-again experience. There's no condemnation to the one in Christ. In Christ means faith and obeying. It means following him and keeping his word. That's what in Christ means, see? Many people say, oh, I'm set free. I'm set. Yeah, why are you still sinning then? Why are you still running around and fornicating and lying and, doing, and living your own life if you're in Christ Jesus? You're not in Christ Jesus. You've been lied to, and you want to believe the lie, so you get what you deserve. Like Jesus said, so the one that's not walking in his spirit is condemned. He puts himself back under the law of sin and death if he does not stay with Christ, the branch will be cut off. And the scripture doesn't give times, like I say. But I don't believe, I can never find any scripture. I don't believe you can live 20 years and still be a Christian while you're living in an adultery. Uh-uh. That's that kind of patience God's talking about. Mm-hmm. Early church threw him out. It said it had nothing to do with that wicked person. Paul called him a wicked person and said put him out of your midst. They didn't say just love them anyway and let them sit in the church and you don't want to offend them. He wanted to offend them. He said get rid of them. They're despising God and disgrace to Christianity. Well, we don't have that kind of Christianity today, do we? <laughs> it shows you how dark it's getting. And as the Lord said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I command you? Why? Because he's not your Lord if you don't obey him. That's what Lord means, master. And then people said, well, you don't understand. I'm saved. I'm just not a disciple. I said, well, you don't understand, but you will. When you drop into the lake of fire, you'll see you were wrong. And then it was too late to do anything about it because that's what you wanted to believe. So God gave you over to a lying spirit, and you were damned. That's what's going to happen to him. Verse 12, For there is no distinction. He changes now. The message is the message of Christ and the preaching of the gospel. But now he gets back because he's dealing with Jewish Christians and Gentiles and they were having problems in the church among themselves and he was stating things the Jew would understand and the Gentile. He's sort of clearing things up for them letting the Jews know they're not special anymore. They don't have no privileges over the Gentile that's born again they're on equal basis now. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. That's the Greek represents, the most intelligent and brilliant of the Gentiles. For the same Lord is Lord over all, abundantly, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Okay, So he's letting the Jew know that this way of faith in Christ has no privileges like you had under the law. You have a given privileges, and if you obeyed them, God respected you, and that's good. You can bring this in and teach the Gentiles what you had, but you're not better than them. They're on equal standing with you, okay? God has no favorites or privileges other than the one in Christ Jesus. God is the Lord God of all mankind. He is abundantly gracious, rich. That's what it means in this offer of Christ' salvation and Christ to everybody, okay Jew and Gentile, male and female, free and slave, all stand under this gracious offer, okay so no longer is he dealing with them. Jews are not saved in a special way; if they don't come to Jesus; they're on the way to hell like a Gentile. All these false Christians think they are saved did the chosen no they're not. You're the chosen holy nation of Israel. You're the true Jew if you come to Christ Jesus. And as Jesus himself said, the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness when all the Gentiles come in. And though there were multitudes of them over the generation, he said only a remnant will be saved. So just because they were a Jew and they were circumcised didn't save them. Paul said, if you don't keep the law, Your circumcision doesn't mean anything. You don't follow the Lord, and they didn't. He says, you're not a Jew as far as God is concerned. So they are not into any special standing. And it's blasphemy for Christians to put them there. If they're saved, they come through Jesus Christ, like Paul did, and Peter, and John, and the beginners. They were the elect. That's who the elect were. They chose to go into the covenant. And they became spiritual Jews in the new covenant, okay? 13, for whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. People use that scripture, and then they don't interpret it or handle it. And so you got millions of people thinking they're saved because they've given some lip service, and they're not changed and the Holy Spirit's not leading them, and they're not following the Lord, but they have ceremony and tradition and church and all that. It ain't going to do them a bit of good, okay? Whosoever will call on Christ and accept his life and righteousness for his own self and sins will be saved. He is saved when he comes to the Lord. Okay, let's go back. Gospel of John again. Chapter 3, no, I'm not going to read the most famous and misunderstood scripture and most perverted, for God so loved the world. Yeah, they misunderstand all of this. They stop there. They don't read the whole scripture. 36, after he says that in 3.16, for God did so love the world, he gave his only God. That is not the gospel. See, people are wrong just to take that out of context. They should go down to 36 if they're going to give that. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Notice the tense. It abides. The person who rejects the gospel, God's wrath is still on him. Yeah, people say, oh, he's not angry with the sinner anymore. You're a liar. You don't know holiness and you don't know the scripture. You're perverting it. Okay. Wrath abides on the one who rejects the gospel. Grace and life is here for the one who follows and believes. He has eternal life because he has Christ. And if he stays with Christ, he'll have it for everlasting life. Okay. So he is angry. See, they don't understand. God, scripture says he's angry with the sinner all day long. See, we look at it as an emotion. With God, it's substance, it's who he is. His holiness hates sin in any form. And eventually, Psalms says he despises the sinner, he despises the murderer. Certain people, hears them. You talk about something, it ain't changed. He's the same as Jesus. Yes, they day and forever. The four or five times God laughs in Scripture, he's mocking the wicked. And he catches them in their calamity, and when they're cast into the pit, he says he laughs at them. Now, that's hard to take, isn't it? He's talking about the excessive, wicked person that rejects his grace and is an evildoer and kills innocent people. That's God's attitude. And he can withdraw grace. See? So don't take the general assumption and apply it in every case. The gospel's for everybody until they start hardening themselves and rejecting. Then there comes a place he don't give the gospel anymore. His spirit will not strive. He will not be gracious. That's his right. So people need to fear the Lord, understand him. So the person that is not saved is under a continual wrath. But God has still three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave. He has goodwill and intentions. He wants them to repent and turn, but they're still his enemies until they do it. They're at enmity with him. And he can exercise all at the same time, see? He's not whimsical and mood. He doesn't get moods like we do and thoughts and stuff. He's the same, Jesus Christ, as God himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changed, okay? Verse 14. How then will they call on him on whom they have not believed? How will they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? There's a lot of misunderstanding about getting the gospel out. Nowhere in the Bible does it says give the Bible or scripture to people. Give them a track. Oh, they're good later, and you can, they help in some exceptions. That's not general rule. God calls and anoints people to preach the gospel. And without that, there's going to be no spirit moving. It's not left to man. You don't tell a person, give them a, read this. They won't understand it because the Lord has opened their eyes. But when he calls someone and commissions them to preach, he inspires the speaker and he opens the ear of the hearer. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a mental assent thing. All these universities, you've got these Christian groups trying to convince people intellectually about God. they are waste their time. Just preach the gospel and the Spirit will either turn them on or turn them off. That's the simplicity. Didn't say sit there and debate and try to prove God exists and try to prove evolution. Didn't say to argue with these people. You'll never win. Paul learned that on the Mount of Mars, he argued and debated with them, and there was no church for them there. They just wanted to philosophize. They just wanted to chatter about religion, but there was no life. So Paul states the general way of the gospel. Well, I'm not saying there aren't exceptions. That's the general way. Yeah, people have been saved by a track. They've been praying and seeking, and the Lord opened their eyes. But the main way is... The preacher, the teacher, the exhorter. Well, even Paul implies that an angel could preach the gospel. And I've heard of it happening. Heard of it happening a hundred years ago in certain villages in some of these faraway places. They thought it was a missionary. Come to find out a was Paul said what? If I come to you later or an angel from heaven preach in any other gospel, let it be a current. He implied an angel could preach the gospel. God can do the exception when it suits him. But the general means of man being saved is by listening to the preacher that's called. He's the prophet of the Lord. He speaks the mind of the Lord, and the Lord anoints him to speak, and he opens the ears. It's a spiritual thing. It's not just the intellectual convincing. Everybody's convinced they're Christian, and very few are. And they're all intellectuals too, aren't they? And most of them, many of them come out of seminary and they're just as dead as if they came out of a cemetery. They don't know the gospel, but they know scripture back and forth, but there's no life in them. See? So we understand it's a spiritual thing. How will they preach unless they're sent? See, they have to be called. As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good tidings and good things. Okay. Yet the one sent must be called or commissioned. A lot of people, as soon as they get saved, they're out preaching to God. The scripture teaches nothing like that. But see, they're teaching a mental assent gospel. Just confess Jesus, you'll be saved. No. When you're not equipped, you don't go out. They don't send teenagers to war if they don't equip them at 18 or 19. They probably shouldn't be sending them that young. They equip them. They just don't give them a gun and say, go out. Well, you don't do the same. People out there preaching gospel only know three scriptures. They're told, well, you only need to know three because they are foolish, deceived, false shepherds. The Bible says study so you won't be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God, understanding these things. That's maturity. Then you go to ministry. You don't send babes out, novices preaching and teaching to God because they don't know what they're doing. Good intentions ain't going to get it done. Get all the good intentions in the world, but it's not spiritual. So Paul, you don't put a novice. He needs to drink the milk of the word and mature and learn things before he starts trying to minister publicly to other people, okay? So the one must be called or commissioned to go forth. God's plan of salvation includes sending those equipped and anointed in Christ's place. God's plan and his way is ever his, okay? One plants, Paul said, he said when they were jealous over him and others argued who was the best minister, he said one plants, that means he gives the gospel, he teaches, and the person often considers it. And one waters, he comes along and encourages the God. And then the guy starts looking and thinking, this is true. And so he comes to the Lord. It isn't always instant. He said, one plants, one waters. And Paul said, but what are they? They're nothing. He said, it's God that gives the increase. See, it's the spiritual. So apart from God movement, the one who plants and the one who waters is accomplishing nothing. And we got a lot of people out there trying to plant and water. And God's not doing anything because they're not called of him and they're not walking in the Lord and they're not being led of the Spirit. Okay? Very simple. All spiritual matters God is involved in. Every spiritual matter. There's always the human and divine side. Christ is divine and we are the branches. And you cannot bear fruit of ministry, life, or anything unless you're connected. He is not going to bear fruit without you. It can't be done. And you're not going to bear fruit without him. It's the joining of the vine and branches. That's where the fruit lies. So it's not all God. Uh, people try to honor God, all the plans and all the efforts of the spirit true, but man has a responsibility. All the basic nine supernatural gifts you have God's side and you have man's side. And one of the highest ministries and gifts was prophecy. And yet Paul said, speaking for the Lord, the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. They are not overwhelmed. They don't have to prophesy. They can refuse to. It's subject to them. See, he doesn't overwhelm them. Every one of them has to do something. The only nine gifts I think that maybe doesn't have a man, a Christian minister, directly involved is the working of miracles. Sometimes just by the person's presence and ministry, people were healed. Even Jesus, the woman, touched his garment, and he just turned around and said, Who touched me? He implied he didn't know. And by her faith, she drew power from him, and God honored it. He had nothing to do with it then. See, he didn't know. He said, Who touched me? The Father didn't tell him, he didn't need to know. She answered what had happened. Okay. So every gift to ministry, God sent it and man sent it. That's how it always works. It's called He that has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit. We are the branches. He's the vine. He's the head of the church, the true church, and we're the body. And we are not supposed to be doing anything unless the head tells us to. And yet if the head tells us to, and we don't do nothing, nothing gets done. So people need to understand that man's responsible. And that's why so much, 40% of the epistles and everything, warn and rebuke and admonish and tell a Christian to do this and don't do this and blah, 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 because he's responsible for what he does and what God tells him to do. It's not automatic. A lot of people think, well, at least I'm saved." no, you're not. You don't stay with the Lord and follow him. You have no salvation. He doesn't give salvation and walk away. He is our salvation. Eternal life is knowing him, not knowing about him, okay? So how wonderful those who preach, teach, and exhort the gospel, the good news. And again, getting back to the subject, so many will say, well, when we preach the good news, we need to tell people that God's not angry with the sinner anymore. That's false. His wrath will abide on him if he rejects the gospel. God is angry with the sinner all day long. So let's remember this, and we'll close now, that God is the same and holiness, love, and judgment against sin always. He shall love the sinner, but at the same time, the wrath of the Lamb will be the judge one day. Let's close. Give us wisdom, Lord, and proper understanding of the true gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.